0: That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. If you're listening to this on TuneIn that means you have figured out that for the remainder of the year, my podcasts are going to be available for the first week only on the TuneIn app, and then after that, they'll go to Apple Podcasts, ESPN app, everything else. So if you are listening to this on your Apple Pod or iTunes or whatever, um, or the ESPN app, Realize that if you're not seeing them updated as regularly as they used to be, that is because they are initially going on Wednesdays to the TuneIn app, and then they are uploaded to the other outlets a week later. This is due to a sponsorship with TuneIn and being one of the featured podcasts over there. So if you want to get them the first day, head on over to TuneIn, and if you're okay with waiting a week, then um, they should populate into the other apps and other properties uh, a week afterwards. Super excited today to have my friend Kate Scott on the show Um, I met her a couple years ago, and I've just been so impressed with her, and her career is taking off, and she's just such an interesting and fascinating person to talk to. As an out lesbian female sports reporter who is tackling big jobs that not many have done before, like play-by-play for NFL games on the radio and and, and Pac-12 football games on TV, she's just one of those groundbreakers that her approach has always been, I want to do this, so I'm going to. Not I want to be the first, not I want to, you know, break the glass ceiling, just why can't I? And there's something about that attitude that I think is really informative to people who may feel like it's too daunting of a task to take on something. We often talk about on this podcast and at ESPNW and in general in life, if you can see it, you can be it. And Kate Scott is one of those people that is allowing um, people coming up in the industry to see that there are possibilities for um, non-traditional people to be holding roles that we've uh, that we've previously only seen um, a, a certain kind of person hold and. That's awesome. And I I, more power to her. And I loved talking to her about how she became the person that she is and how she continues to sort of fight these little battles along the way for everybody that comes after her. So here is my conversation with the great Kate Scott. That's what she said. That's what she said. So happy to chat with my friend Kate Scott. She's a Pac-12 Networks play-by-play, anchor, reporter, and host. She is always busy doing multiple things, breaking down barriers and doing it always with a big smile, which I'm going to talk to her about later, how she manages to to float above the fray or at least so it seems from afar. How are you doing, Kate?
1: I'm doing great, Sarah. And I'm already chuckling at that. Um, But it's so fantastic to be on with you. I've missed seeing your face. So it's great to hear your voice again.
0: I know we have our usuals. We always see each other at the Super Bowl and Mm -hmm. maybe once or twice throughout the year at other stuff. But it's been I, I don't think it's I've seen you since February.
1: I, well, that's what happens when you work as much as both of us do. It's true. And, I mean, I get to see you on TV, so I'm talking to you or <laughs> yes. yelling at you, but at for some reason you've yet to respond. So I it's get the good feeling be, a good
0: lot, the lot of podcast. people are yelling at me when I'm on television. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not it's always. always in support. It's always, always in support. the good things. Right. <laughs> um, well, I want to get into um, some of your more recent gigs and, and some of the ways that you are opening up doors for other women in the industry, but I want to go all the way back first and start out with uh, Kate Scott, the child, and, <laughs> and where this love for sports and talking and writing and, 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 and everything came about. So how deep does the love for sports go back?
1: Oh, it goes back, it goes back all the way to the beginning, and it is a very deep love. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where it came from. You know how kids are just attracted to certain things? Yeah. Some kids love dinosaurs. Some I love kids... horses. You know, some kids love horses. See, I wasn't the horse kid. Horses have always scared me. Um, (laughs) But from... uh, Sorry about that. I think (laughs) they're beautiful from afar. Um, But (laughs) so when I was about five or six, this is the earliest memory I have. And you can kind of get up on the weekends and go get your bowl of cereal by yourself, let your parents sleep in a little bit, turn on... Well, used to. I don't know what kids do these days, but used to be able to then go into the living room and turn on the TV and watch cartoons or whatever, uh, Instead of watching cartoons, I would always turn on SportsCenter. And <laughs> I continued to do that, not just on weekends, but every morning before school. My mom would let me get my bowl of cereal, and then I would go out. We had this little rocking chair in the living room and a little coffee table. And I would watch, which at the time was back-to-back-to-back half-hour sports centers, and they were repeats. So I would just watch them over and over again. And then whenever I got home in the afternoon, and this was before ESPN had the rights to any of the big, you know, named sports, so I was watching uh, America's Cup sailing and Aussie Rules football oh and professional bowling. Die hard. And I, I, I don't know why. I was just obsessed with it. So, so your that's parents it started. Did they
0: have it on around the house when they were in charge of the television?
1: No, that's the thing. That's Often people ask me, was, was your dad a big sports fan? Did he play sports? What about your mom? And no, neither of them. I mean, they're both casual sports fans, and they both got much more into sports when I started playing sports. Um, but, but no, it, if my dad had his brothers, it would always be, you know, a National Geographic channel or a travel channel. And my mom was watching, you know, soaps in the afternoon and, and then Oprah in the afternoon. So I was the only one in the family who always made it a point to turn it to sports. So I still have yet that. to figure out why, but, yeah. but I'm, I've kind of See, given that's... up trying to figure it out because it's worked yeah. out okay.
0: That's my story, too. I always have to tell people, no, neither of my parents really cared about sports. They got more into it when my sister and I played, and Mm -hmm. they try to pay attention now because they want to know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Same thing, but I didn't get into it until I played. So when I became an athlete a little bit Mm -hmm. later... Um, that's when I started watching it as well. When I when I was yeah. doing it and doing it well, so that's crazy that even at five or six, the visuals and the and the conversations were appealing to. You. I'll have to remember that when I'm on the air, t- like going blue that maybe there's some five or six year old out there that's watching me on around the Hornets <laughs> and making the world's the next dirtiest generation jokes. <laughs> of Young men and women
1: who are going to go into this field.
0: <laughs> yes, I will be inspiring the next don't Chelsea forget, Handler and Howard forget. Stern. Then the way that I uh, try to weasel my way around <laughs> the censors. Um, so I heard that you used to memorize batting averages, and you dressed up as Will Clark for Halloween.
1: Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, if you scroll back in the Instagrams, I, I believe there is one of those Will Clark esque Halloween photos from a couple of Halloween's ago. Um, but yeah, and it, it wasn't even on purpose. Um, but it was, as I said, because I was watching so many sports centers a day, and sports center when we were growing up was way different than it is now. It was just yeah. back back to back highlights. And at the end of every highlight, they would put up, you know, the the big hitters, or the big stats, you know, Steph Curry hit this many three-pointers, So many, this guy hit this many home runs. And if you see it three or four times a day and you're watching it day after day, you just kind of start to memorize stuff. So it wasn't even on purpose. It wasn't a trick I was trying to, you know, play on people just so that I could win their money or something. <laughs> Although looking <laughs> back, I probably should have done that. Yeah, for sure. Um, they wouldn't know
0: that it was a repeat.
1: <laughs> exactly, thank you But yeah, <laughs> so I, just, I grew up loving um, Will Clark and the Giants And Steve Young and the 49ers Sorry, I'm a Young versus Montana girl Steve Young's my guy <laughs> And the Warriors, even though they were awful then um, And uh, the San Jose Sharks Because they actually played one of their exhibitions Before they were even an NHL team They played the uh, the LA Kings at Seland Arena Which is the arena in Fresno and my dad and I always used to go support the Fresno Falcons, which was our local minor league hockey team, which if if people listening haven't been to a minor league hockey game yet, you need to go wherever you live. Yeah. Get, get to a minor league hockey game because that was like Friday night fun for my dad and me. We would just go to the games. He would get a cheap beer. But so your dad got go into it for you. would Periods towards the locker room. Get pucks and sticks because the players were like, "Who's the little girl who knows all this stuff about hockey?" Um, and now here we are talking about things. So, but your dad it.
0: got into it for you, which is interesting because I don't I I I don't think. It would take a lot of begging for me to convince my dad that I wanted him at a, a Cubs game or a Blackhawks or, or anything. I mean, my parents have gone to a couple, um, like, U.S. Open. They like tennis because they nice. used to play. But that's it, yeah. and that's what's so crazy. I could, I could get my mom to a game if I told her, you know, I really needed her I <laughs> really wanted her to, to see what I do. But, um, but that's great that they kind of decided to buy in. So um, you start playing soccer. Did you play other sports? I
1: did play other sports, yeah. So soccer was my travel sport, um, which I played competitively through my junior year of high school. But I was one of those kids who played everything. So in high school, I played varsity tennis, uh, varsity soccer, varsity basketball, and track and field. And I did all of those all four years of high school, much to the chagrin of my travel soccer coach, who time and again put pressure on me to quit, which I know coaches continue to do, and it sounds like it's only gotten more intense, Um, and I won't give advice to parents, because I don't have kids, and I'm not planning on having them, but the only thing I will say is, um, I've recently reconnected with a number of my travel soccer teammates, who did, who were, like me, played every sport until they got to college, and they listened to our travel coach, Oh, sorry about that, doing some house (laughs) construction right now. (laughs) Sorry about the sanding that's going on outside. Um, And they have come back and told me, we wish we would have kept playing um, every sport like you did. Because, you know, we went to college and played soccer for a few years and got injured or dropped out of the sport. And uh, we look back and see how much fun you had just continuing to play with your friends at high school, and we wish we would have done that, too. So Well, and also,
0: they, you know, they talk about, you know, diversifying the muscles you're using and not overusing the same things by yep. by sticking with one. And uh, some people seem to be listening. I know, you know, the, the, the biggest of the biggest doctors are preaching, but we'll see uh, how many parents and kids are listening. Um, so you, you, you wrecked your knee, though. And so you had had dreams of playing soccer in college and maybe professionally had that been uh, something that came about early enough, uh, maybe Olympics at least back then. Was that, <laughs> was that a goal for you?
1: Um, I was, because I grew up in California, um, I, I was able to be at the Rose Bowl in 1999 when Brandy Chastain and the U.S. women's national team beat China and won that insane World Cup that kind of set off kind of just the motion of U.S. women's soccer that we know today. Um, so I definitely grew up hoping to one day play for the national team and play for the U.S. in the Olympics and, you know, bring a gold back to Back to the United States, Um, so yeah, it was definitely a real dream, but uh, my junior year of high school, um, I tore my meniscus while I was playing soccer and, uh, you know, had the surgery, which was a long time ago. (laughs) It it wasn't as easy to uh, come back from, I guess, at that point. And uh, I, I returned, and I tried to get back to it, but the knee was just never right again. Um, and it was kind of, I think, a blessing in disguise at the same time, because I had played soccer so competitively for so long. As I know a lot of athletes experience, I was pretty burned out at that point. Um, a lot of the fun had gone away, and it had become, okay, how can we show so-and-so off to the college who's coming to watch her this weekend. Okay, we're going to this tournament, and this young woman who lives in that town needs to be seen by a college, so we're going to have her on our team for the weekend. So all the camaraderie and all the things I loved about my soccer team had kind of started to go away. Um, And my senior year of high school, while still playing sports, At school but not on my club travel team anymore I I stepped away from it as a senior which was the hardest decision of my life at that point because again I was giving up my dream of maybe playing for the US national team and all that stuff Um, I started writing for the high school newspaper and I started writing sports um, and I absolutely fell in love with it so now in retrospect the injury And the the loss of one dream and the devastation I experienced as, you know, a 16, 17-year-old young woman actually turned out to be a great turning point in my life because it set me on the path, which has continued now, and I have somehow been able to turn into a career. So it's crazy how, uh, you know, when things seem the bleakest and it seems like, well, my life is over, I don't know what I'm going to do from here on out now, you know a little over 15, 20 years later, if I could do some addition to my head. Um, <laughs> it seems like that was one of the best things to happen to me.
0: Yeah. So so when you get to Berkeley, um, you have already decided that this is a path that you want to take, or are you still trying to figure out how to take that love of sports and do something with it?
1: No, I'd already decided, thanks to writing for my high school newspaper, the Clovis, uh, the Clovis High School, the Cougars growl. Um, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) I knew that I wanted to be um, some type of sports journalist. I didn't know what type I wanted to be because I I did and I still love writing. um, And I hope to somehow soon be able to start doing some of that again. But I also knew that I was interested in at least exploring the other types of um, sports journalism. So my sophomore year at Cal, after I settled in as a freshman, um, I had been seeing this same guy at all the football and basketball games with a camera on his shoulder. And again, <laughs> this was a long time ago, kiddos, so it's circa 2001, um, so there's no social media, there's no phones with cameras on them or anything like that, so it was like you look for the people with the cameras. Um, So I went up to him after a Cal basketball game and tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, uh, my name's, you know, Kate Scott. I'm wondering if you need any interns. I'm not even sure what channel or station you work with. (laughs) And he said, well, my name is Paul Aldridge. It's like a hustler television. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I'm actually in charge of the Cal highlight show. It's a half hour show that airs um, once a week on what was then, I think, Fox Sports Channel and then, Comcast, Sportsnet, Bay Area. Anyway, it's our local, like, Comcast, NBC sports affiliate. And uh, he said, I don't need any interns because it's pretty much me and our host, but I have been looking for a student to start doing a student segment. So, do you have any interest? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, I've never done any TV at all. Yes, I'm definitely interested. (laughs) Um, So, for the next three years, my sophomore, junior, and senior at Cal, uh, you know, he taught me how to shoot. And he taught me how to voice track, and he taught me kind of how to figure out how to put together a package, both funny and serious. So that was kind of my intro to TV, while also taking classes um, on communications at Cal. And I did internships while I was at Cal as well. Um, and then after I graduated, it wasn't until after I graduated that I got into radio. But as, That's as crazy. A That's so serendipitous, like too. Knows, so glad that I did, because... yeah. It's so, that's, I, I that's love so random that radio. you happened
0: to approach him and that he decided to take a chance on you instead of I don't know doing a, a, a search for a student or whatever else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy. No,
1: so cool. And and just to put a ball on that story, one of the coolest things is we now work together at the Pac Twelve. No Network. way. So that's Paul really has been a cool. huge part of my career. He was the first one to give me a chance at football play by play. He was producing high school broadcasts a number of years ago here in the Bay. And he called me out of the blue, and now he's an editor um, at the Pac-12 Network. So it's it's pretty awesome. crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. You also, when you were at Berkeley, uh, Berkeley, you were the first full-time female mic man yell leader <laughs> during the football and basketball games. So for those of us who did not go to a school with a giant uh, sports kind of scene like that, explain yeah. what the mic man is, and also uh, why and how you decided that you wanted to do it. <laughs>
1: uh so the mic man or yell leader um at cal you probably see the giant student section which will hopefully be doled out in the years to come, not that Justin Wilcox is turning the football team around. Um, but in front of the student section on a platform is all the cheerleaders and uh, a person with an Oxford button-down shirt and a blue and gold tie on a microphone, hence the Mike Man" moniker. Um, and you lead cheers. So, you know, go Bears on three. One, two, three, go Bears! And, you know, a first down or defense, Bears, defense, whatever. You're just leading the cheers on on a microphone, um, and then at basketball games, we would just stand in front of the student section, obviously don 't have a microphone at basketball games, so you yeah, have to have a voice that can yell and be heard over a lot of people um, and And I knew that I wanted to do that because it 's pretty much what I did at high school football games down in Clovis. I <laughs> finagled my way into being on the microphone. Um, Accidentally, actually, because uh, I like to say that Clovis is kind of the Texas of California where I grew up. So Friday night football was huge. Um, We had 10,000 seat high school football stadiums. And usually it's the cheerleaders on, on, you know, the big blocks that spell out the school name, and and the head cheerleader is on the microphone leading cheers. Um, And at one game (laughs) as a freshman in high school, I didn't think that. She was doing a good enough job, so I started leading cheers in the student section. And, uh. uh the
0: savage. Che-
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was an ass. <laughs> sorry about that, but I, I was 13 at the time, so I don't take responsibility for that. The cheer coach, who was kind of, think of like Jane Lynch in glee. Everyone was scared Love of it. her because she Love had so it. much power at our high school. Turns out, obviously, she's a wonderful woman. She looks up in the student section and goes, You! come here and gives me like the finger down to the field. So I'm thinking I'm in trouble. I'm going to get expelled from high school and I'm a freshman. And (laughs) instead she goes, what you were just doing there, go do it on the microphone right now. Uh, So I was kind of a mic man at Clovis high. So I went to my first Cal football game. I went to the Cal Stanford big game when I was a junior in high school And I saw that there was people on microphones leading cheers in front of the Cal student section. So I was like, okay, if I get into Berkeley, if I go to Cal, (laughs) I've got to figure out a way to do that because I've been doing it before. This is amazing. Um, And then when I got to Cal, I figured out how to do it. And that's when they kind of told me, well, no woman, no girl, you know, at the time has ever done this before. And I said, okay, well, are are you open to me trying? And they said, yeah, but just be prepared that I don't know how the students are gonna react because the way you get chosen is you have to try out in front of the students during a football game. So literally wow. one of the non-com games at the beginning of the And do they know the you're year. trying
0: out? Like, would they have an opportunity to, like, boo you or be like, not this one. sucks. Exactly. No. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they put you out there in, like, the second quarter of, you know, week two game against a cupcake. And they're like, here you go. Let's see what the students think. Um, so it's trial by fire. And uh, I somehow passed. And then that's how I got to do that at Cal. And it actually helped me get my start in the industry because the guy who gave me my first job in radio radio, as soon as I walked into his office, he goes, are you you that annoying chick that was on the microphone at Cal Games? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, that doesn't sound very positive, but yes, I was. I hope you see some, you know, something positive in there, some benefit to me doing that.
0: (laughs) I love that. Okay, so this is, before we get into like some of the later things, let's talk about when you were a kid and you were watching Sports Center instead of cartoons and dressing up as male baseball players for Halloween <laughs> and being the mic man, did you know you were being, I guess counterculture isn't the right word, but like that you weren't doing the norm? Was it an active choice or was it a choice that came from naivete of, oh, well, this is what I want to do, so why wouldn't I do it?
1: Yeah, it was totally based in naivete. And um, I think I have my parents and the kids i grew up with and my teachers to thank for that um and even now when people ask me you know oh how do you feel about being a pioneer or a trailblazer or all these things i just kind of laugh and shrug because it's it's always been my normal from the time again that i was that little girl watching sports center and then I was lucky enough to grow up on a street where there was tons of kids and all of us had basketball hoops. So every day after school, we'd come home and whose hoop are we playing on today? And it was always a bunch of guys and me. Um, And at recess at school, it was me and 50 boys playing soccer. Um, So it was always no one ever made me feel different because of the things I liked and the things I wanted to do. So I guess I just kind of grew up blissfully ignorant that it wasn't the norm. And I kind of still feel that way when people ask me, how does it feel to be the only woman um, on the radio or the first female to be a mic man at Cal? Um, I I just kind of say, well, it's just something I wanted to do. And no one told me I couldn't, so so here we are. Um, so I think, after hearing a number of other people's stories, that I was very lucky in that sense, um, because I know a lot of people are told at an impressionable early age, no, you can't do that, no, that's not normal, you need to do something else, whereas I was supported and continue to feel supported. So I think I'm, I'm really lucky when it comes to that.
0: Is there an age that you got to when you realized – that it isn't. So so I think that there's a benefit to that. I felt the same way. You know, my parents have a law firm together. My mom is an incredibly, you know, independent, powerful woman who Mm -hmm. wasn't saying to me, you know, she wasn't sitting at home and preaching to me about this stuff. She was just leading by example. Right. Yeah. And so because of that, it just didn't occur to me. And so then when I wanted to do something, I would do it. But there's also things that I didn't try for because I didn't see them. So mm-hmm. the reason I didn't get into sports until later is because I didn't really see a lot of women doing it. So it just didn't occur to me. I didn't feel yeah. like I couldn't. It just didn't occur to me to even try for it. But yeah. then at a certain point, you realize a lot of the things you're pushing for, that there are barriers. You may not have noticed them and you may not be acknowledging them because never before in your life have you felt like things have been, you know, boarded up for you or that you weren't allowed in there. So when you get to a certain point, then you reach and you realize there are barriers um It can be like a wake-up call and all that naivete is gone and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there are things that people don't (laughs) want me to do. And there are places that people don't think I belong. When did that happen for you? I assume it has at some point. (laughs) It
1: it did. Um, (laughs) And I'm still pretty oblivious to most of it. Um, But I think the first time it really hit me was when I started at KMBR. Um, so for folks who don't know, KNBR is the Giants and 49ers and was, when I was working there, the Golden State Warriors flagship station. So it's the big sports radio station out here in the Bay Area. It's it's the one I grew up listening to Giants broadcasts on. Um, and I was the first woman that they'd hired full-time ever. So as most of us know, sports radio is mostly men and Sarah Spain and me, and, right. and now a, a number of other women. Thank goodness. Um, but uh, it was the first couple of weeks that I was there, and I don't—I was not prepared for the blowback um, on Twitter. Um, just people, as I like to say, didn't like my face, didn't like my voice, didn't like the fact that I was a woman. All of a sudden, kind of infiltrating what I think they thought was just their boys club Um, and that was the first time that it really hit me okay nothing I do is going to be good enough it doesn't matter how many stats I can rip off it doesn't matter how well I can break down the game we all watched last night it doesn't matter how funny I am people are just not gonna like my face not gonna like my voice because I'm a woman Um, so that was a little hard to take at first but then like everything else (laughs) I've kind of dealt with, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to waste time trying to then impress and get the approval of these people who aren't going to like me and approve of me regardless of what I do. And I'm just going to spend energy being the best me that I can be. And that was a great learning experience for me because, as you said, that was the first time, but it definitely hasn't been the last since then. I've run into that a number more times. But I just look back at that experience and say, okay, well, it was hard at first, but I kept working, and by the end of my time at KNBR, um, by all accounts, it seemed like the majority of the audience really enjoyed my presence there. Um, and that's how I'm going to approach this, situ- this situation as, too. Now, most of the time, it's you know, doing play-by-play and calling sports that maybe haven't been called by women before. Um, and I know there's going to be blowback, but I also know if I do a great job um, that there will be approval and acceptance, and that's the most important thing to me.
0: So yeah, you 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 were traffic reporter. You did sidelines for Major League Soccer, for the San Jose Giants, um, for stuff you know, various stuff on the Pac-12 networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a sports anchor for KNBR. Um You you did all these things. You did high school football. Uh, a year ago, you called two 49ers preseason games, and then this September, you called the Arizona Wildcats season opening game against Northern Arizona. You were doing play by play, and it was the first time in Pac-12 networks history that a woman called a regular season football game. I believe. Your preseason 49ers games on the radio were were a first or one of the first, right, as well?
1: Yeah, that was the first time a woman had called an NFL game on the radio. On
0: the radio, yeah. Um, yeah, So in those moments, um, how much do you have to say, I can't think too hard about who's listening and what they're thinking? And how much do you have to say, I have to think about that because I need to do well in order to keep the door open for the next woman?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Kind of a little bit of both. Um, I think in the lead up to it, that's when I am really thinking um, about who's going to be listening and about uh, you really don't want to f*** this up because this is a big opportunity, not not just for you, but for an entire gender. so really that's so hard, try and, though. Try, try not to screw this up yeah you, well
0: some people yeah. function really well with that pressure right that's when they shine <laughs> my well, best I'm approach f- to things is don't overthink how many people are listening or what happens if you mess up because i do better when i'm just being myself and like i come in prepared and then just go yeah
1: yeah so and and same thing here so that's why i say i thought about both of those things a lot in the build up and i think about them in the way that they provide motivation for me because I prepped like crazy before those Niners games, because it's preseason football, So you and it was the first two weeks of preseason football. So you have oh, 90 you got a lot of names on both <laughs> teams, and you know that you're going to be going four or five or six or seven deep at a position. So it's not like, okay, let's memorize the 22 guys that you'll probably see this week and go two deep maybe at each position. So I was doing that and then it's also radio football. So I didn't have the picture to support it. I had to know everything and how to really say it. And yes, I've been watching football since I was a little girl. But <laughs> are you ready to describe it for 4 hours, you know, and to mix things up and to not say throws to runs but you know the same thing over and over again? Are you able to do that? Um, so, when I was prepping 12, 14, 18 hours a day, that's when I would think about the people who would be listening and the people who I didn't want to let down. But yeah, then come game day, and even the day before the game, you just kind of get into your kind of athlete mentality that we all have from playing sports growing up, right? Um, just in, I, I'm prepped, I'm ready, now let's go out and be the best that I can be. So, uh, thankfully, I thank my radio background for that because it's scary at first, right? The first few times you're on the radio, all you're doing is thinking about who's listening and who you don't want to mess up in front of and who you want to impress. But after doing radio for all those years, um, it's just work now. So I never really think about that once I, once the on-air light goes on.
0: You mentioned that people didn't like your face, your voice, whatever. <laughs> the voice thing comes up a lot with women, right? Um, when, we, when we do the trifecta, people flipping the stations will be like, I just turned this on ESPN radio. It sounds like cackling hens or it sounds like my <laughs> nagging wife or, you know, the only yeah. the only spaces that they have for voices of women are either sexualized where it's, yeah. oh, your voice is hot or you sound like a nagging wife or a, a chicken or whatever. Um, <laughs> for me, I actually had to get vocal cord surgery. My voice is significantly lower than it used to be. Yeah. And... I get complimented for the most part on it. People like the sound of it. It's less, I think, offensive to them than a very high-pitched female voice.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Did
0: you ever have to come, because a lot of us have to come to terms with not liking the sound of our voice and then realizing that it might actually be beneficial in this particular industry?
1: Because
0: hmm. you have a low voice as well.
1: Yeah, I do have a low voice, and I've always had a low voice. Um, so again, kind of like the being the only girl playing with all the guys, it's, it's always been my norm. Um, so even though I do hate listening back to myself on the radio or watching myself back on TV, I, I've always kind of liked the sound of my voice and liked the way I look and kind of have just <laughs> felt when people say that they don't like it. Sorry, not much I can do about
0: it. Right. That's cool. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I that's one of my. Appreciate
1: the fact that you don't like my voice. I understand. You know, there's voices and faces that I don't like, but right. uh, <laughs> nothing I can really do about it. So sorry. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, there's a great quote from. Uh, I want to say it was Tina Fey's book um, in regard to people saying women aren't funny, and she said never. It was something to the equivalent of never take a no from somebody who doesn't have the power to say yes. yes. So if the people criticizing you aren't able to give you a job, keep your job, advance you do anything in any way, yeah. then their their opinion might be hurtful, but it's not meaningful.
1: Um, yeah. So don't give them
0: any power that they don't have.
1: One hundred percent. And that's often how I respond when people ask me. I, had, I was doing lots of interviews, obviously, after the 49ers stuff and, and the Arizona game just, just uh, last month. And they ask, you know, how you deal with the blowback. And I always tell them the biggest thing for me is, yeah, I wish that, you know, the majority of the audience liked and appreciated the, the work I was doing. But the most important thing since I was at Cal and continuing to this day is to have the respect um, of my peers. They may not right. like me. They may not like my voice. But if the people I work with um, and the other people in this industry can look at me and say, I really respect the work she does. She puts in the time. I can tell she preps her butt off. Um, You know, I can tell she knows what she's talking about. That's the most important thing to me. So it totally speaks to what you just said and the Tina Fey quote. And that's really hard to come to because I think when we all get started in whatever industry we work on, we really want everyone's approval. Mm -hmm. But then as you get older, you kind of just realize it's not going to be possible. So you can either waste waste your time on it or you can just get back to work.
0: And you think about people that you don't particularly like. And that nobody is liked by everybody, even the yeah, even, exactly. I'm sure there's somebody in the world that doesn't like Tom Hanks, but he might have the <laughs> lowest number. That might be like the last remaining person that has 100 <laughs> percent approval rating. Um, so we just had this great woman, Bozema St. John, at our ESPNW summit. Um, She's now working for Uber, but she's been at Beats and and Apple Music and working for Spike Lee. And she's just this badass, amazing woman. And one of the things she said is bring your whole self to everything. And she mentioned it specifically for work. She'll walk in in a leather dress, hair extensions down to her knees, giant (laughs) earrings, incredible attitude. And she'll say, if this isn't what you were expecting in this boardroom get comfortable and by making them get comfortable, everybody else who walks in gets a better shot and gets the benefit of the doubt. Because after she opens her mouth and blows your mind, you realize it's not going to come in the package you expected. Yeah. I feel like now it seems to me like you can bring your whole self. Um, Was there a point at which you felt either you're trying to be one of the guys instead of a woman or you're hiding your sexuality because you know, you're an open lesbian, you're, you're married to a woman. Um, Are there parts of you that you felt for a long time you had to not bring before you could embrace all of it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and uh, I love that story, too, to lead into it. Um, I think just at the start of my time at KNBR, um, because, again, maybe lucky is not the best word. There's probably a better word, but that's kind of how I feel to have been able to start my sports radio career, not just in a market that I'd been in for a number of years because of college, um, but also following and covering the teams that I grew up cheering for. So I had a, a lot of knowledge there. And then also, it's San Francisco, um, one of the most progressive cities probably in the country, if not the world, right? So I had a lot of <laughs> luck and things going for me um, when I started at KNBR. Um, but I, I, I still wasn't sure. You know, I, I'd been, as you mentioned, a, a traffic and, and sports reporter on a number of other radio stations here in the Bay Area for about five years, and I was out to all of those people. Um, But KNBR was a big step (laughs) and a lot different audience. Um, So I was definitely worried, uh, you know, do I want to be out here? Does the station want me to be out? Um, How do they want me to talk about it? What's going to happen here? So... Um, I, I was able to, so I worked on two shows when I was at KMBR um, the morning show, the Murphy Mac show from 5 to 9 a.m., and then the Gary and Larry show from 9 to noon. So I was their sports anchor, two sports updates an hour, two traffic updates, but then I also had an open mic, so I was free to talk at any time during both shows. And they really encouraged me to do that, which was fantastic. Um, But I was able to talk to Murph and Mac (laughs) um, off air a couple of weeks after I started working there because they talk about their families a lot because it's a morning show and morning shows are very different, right? Uh, Maybe a little more personal than other shows. Anyway, they both talked about their wives and their kids a lot. So I knew that the question was going to come up sooner rather than later. So I went and talked to them off air and said, hey, you guys, I want you to know I'm gay. I'm married to a woman. How do you guys want me to discuss this? Uh, Because it's your show. And I still credit them for kind of how I've approached everything since then. They said, we are so happy that you're a part of our show. So whatever you feel comfortable discussing, we want you to discuss it. Because we really feel like a family here on the Murph and Mac show. And our audience is a part of our family. And we are uh, an intimate part of a lot of their mornings. A lot of people listen to us in the shower. We're, you know, the alarm clock that wakes them up. They're with us in the car, on the way to work. So they really feel a connection to us. So as as comfortable as you are talking about anything, we'd love to have you do that. Um. And then <laughs> the 9 to Noon show was where I actually came out on air, inadvertently on KNBR, um, because Gary Radnich, who is just uh, an icon here in the Bay Area, air, Bay Area, um, he's been a TV sports anchor on Cron here in the Bay for 30-plus years. So he is like our guy. He's the legend in the Bay. Um, a couple weeks after I had talked to Murphy Mac, I'd been planning to talk to him off air, um, but I just hadn't had the time yet. And uh, he, during the show, our show was simulcast, like many of the radio shows you work on, Sarah. And uh, somehow, from like literally 20 yards away, our studios were so far away, and I'm gesturing with my hands, and somehow, like, my wedding ring catches his eye. And he goes, oh, Kate. Cuts off his thought. We were literally in the middle of a sports conversation. Cuts off his thought. And is like, hey, Kate, is that, is that a wedding ring? What is your, you're married. What does your husband think about having a wife who knows so much about sports? Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, my brain kind of exploded because, right, it's like you're on the radio. Dead air feels like forever. And uh, I had, in that moment, you know, two seconds to decide, okay, here's, here's my chance. Am I coming out on Bay Area Sports Radio? or am I...
0: Is this I, the day? Did I have a good breakfast? Am I
1: like, Or do I, like, what do I say? Do I lie and then have to come back? And, and trustworthiness is a huge part of this job. Like, all of these things were exploding in my head at this moment. And then kind of something inside of me just said, like, f*** it, you're out to everybody, so why don't, you're going to be out eventually. Why don't you just do it now? And I said, well, Gary, actually, I'm married to a woman. And then he kind of was like, uh, 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 which is hilarious, because he never loses his, you know, kind of dominance and control of a conversation. And he just responded, uh, 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 that, that, well, that's great. What does she uh, think? What, is, what does she think <laughs> of your job? <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think I lost the point of the whole story, which was. Um, I'm so happy that both of those situations happened how they did and that I was out for the entirety of my time at KNBR because um, one of the probably most meaningful things that happened to me over my time, I was there for six years, um, just left this past January, in addition to getting to go to Super Bowls and hang out with you and um, you know, learn and grow so much as a sports broadcaster, was the impact that I wasn't trying to have, but uh, at least from the audience's response and emails and stuff, managed to have on a lot of people. You know, I would get emails from people who would say, I was really pissed off when you came out. It, oh, you know, for the first two years you were there, I was so pissed off every time you drop my wife or you talk about your weekend. And then uh, somehow the anger kind of started to fade away. And I started thinking, wow, the things that Kate's talking about doing with her wife over the weekend are kind of what I did with my wife. And it's starting to make a lot more sense. Why you keep saying it's your normal, and that 's why you talk about it because it does sound pretty normal. Um, and then I would get emails from parents who would say, "I just want to thank you because my son, who I listened to K and BR with every morning on the way to school, you know he just came out to me, and we talked about you and how open you are and how it seems like you're living a great life and you've given us kind of a talking point even though we're struggling with this as a family so thank you for being yourself um yeah so i mean i'm getting kind of goosebumpy right now just just talking about that um so uh, that's kind of when people ask me why do you talk about it and there are still people who why do you post pictures of her and why do why do you have to talk about it so much well, it's not for me, first of all, and I'm talking about her uh, just as much as my male co coworkers talk about their wives, so shove it. I'm not shoving it in your face. It may yeah. feel that way because it's uncomfortable for you, um, but it's, I'm doing it just as much as everyone I work with. But um, it's for the young men and women who are wondering, can I be a sportscaster uh, and can I be out? It's for the parents who are struggling with their kids. Um, you know, oh, this isn't normal to me. I grew up in a place where this wasn't accepted or my religion doesn't accept it or any of those things. Um, uh, if I can be that example for one person, and I know that that is a cliche, um, but but that m- is meaningful to me and really matters. So I'm lucky enough to have a wonderful spouse and all of our parents are supportive, um, which is rare. There is still plenty of our friends here in the bay area who have one parent or a sibling or something who doesn't approve. Yeah. So the fact that I'm lucky to have such a supportive family, um why not, you know? Uh you have a platform so you might as well use it. So that's kind of a very long-winded way of explaining um uh, why I'm out.
0: Yeah. And and I think You know, that's really a great approach is to say I'm going to focus on the people who have come and told me that it's been meaningful in a positive way instead of focusing on the ones that don't seem to be able to be open-minded about it. Um, It's probably a very healthy approach. Um, I'm somebody who tries to lead by example, but I also do find that there are moments on social media where I want to use other people as an example and I want to Mm -hmm. respond to them. If it's something I hear repeatedly or if it's an attitude I don't like, I'll bring it to light. I'll shout it down in a way that I think the people in the middle who maybe aren't really speaking up but still don't know how they feel, hopefully will see it. And I have had people say, I never thought about it that way until I saw you say this or do this. So I think that that can be powerful. But I noticed that you don't really dive into the muck on social media, yeah, you kind of yeah. stay out of that. How did you decide on that that choice for you? Uh, well, I sometimes get into the muck, and
1: I love reading all of your retweets. They always make me laugh. <laughs>
0: you like when I get um, in the muck, or <laughs> educate,
1: or educate me. <laughs> or educate me. Um, but you're damn good at it, so I appreciate the fact that you have chosen to go that path. Um, and the reason I don't, for the most part, um, is because of the things I've experienced as a gay person. Uh, I tried yelling at people and explaining to them why they should accept me um, for a couple of years when I was first coming out and that never seemed to work. Um, and what seemed to work for me is kind of just what I said, just living my life and talking about it and allowing people to quietly form their own opinions. Now have, have those always been the opinions I wanted them to form? No, not always. But when I think uh, for me Uh, When I've changed my opinion about something, how I've come to that conclusion, it's often been um, seeing something and then being given the opportunity to think about it in my own time. Um, So that's just kind of where I am right now when it comes to social media. But I think things change, Um, and I have spoken up in the past, and I'm sure I will again in the future. But that's kind of where I am at the present when it comes to those things.
0: Yeah. Right, yeah. And it's powerful in some ways too to be, like a, it's a decision that I think a lot of women in the industry have to make, um, which is, do I want to be the person that every guy and gal who likes sports wants to grab a beer with and is mm-hmm. totally non-threatening, or are there moments when it matters to me to speak up about stuff that I think goes beyond the straight sports? Yeah, and, and I think
1: I, I struggle tough. with that all the time, especially now because crazy stuff is happening every day, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and I'm still. That's why I said. I, I'm open to the fact that I could change how I react to those things and where I stand because some days I really want to say something, um, and I don't. So Mm. we'll see if that changes because often on those days is when I go to your Twitter feed, and I'm like, damn it, Sarah's saying stuff again. (laughs) Okay, maybe this is when I want to add my voice to this conversation. Um, And a part of it is also the fact that I now um, consider myself a play-by-play announcer more than anything. Um, I think I felt more open to doing that when I was on radio and was paid to voice an opinion. Yeah. Um, And now I'm kind of looking around at the people who I look up to and want to be.
0: And I don't know if that's a good thing to do. You know, No, but Um, I think it's a tougher position if you are somebody who is meant to be less of an opinionist and more of a this is what's happening, and I'm I'm giving you what's going on versus I think that's one of
1: the reasons I'm struggling right now, because I'm making that transition career-wise, so I think social (laughs) media-wise I kind of am too. But stay tuned. We'll see what happens in the future. Well,
0: and also, you know, the reason I said that is is because sometimes my approach loses too many people. You know, Mm -hmm. people don't like getting preached at. People don't like if they disagree with you, sometimes they shut down altogether. Whereas the whole, you catch more flies with honey. If they like you, if they like you all the time, and then every once in a while you slip in something or just by being yourself, you make them change their mind. Some people react better to that. Um, Some people need to be hit over the head. So I, I guess it's, I guess it's good there's all of us doing all of our own things. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess it's good <laughs> that we both exist. <laughs> there you go. little fun um, for everybody. Yes. Um, all right. Well, before <laughs> I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does. Uh-oh. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish I- Inquisition. Nobody expects it. Number <laughs> one, what's the natural talent you wish you were gifted with? <sighs>
1: Uh, I wish I could sing so much. Gosh, everybody. Because everybody. <laughs> I, I think that I would put on a hell of a show, but <laughs> people assume because I have a deep voice, you must be an incredible singer. I have the worst voice ever, oh. and my wife and friends can attest, so I wish I could sing. <laughs>
0: uh, number two, your Desert Island album. You can only have one.
1: Oh, hmm. Desert Island album. Oh, right now I'm kind of split between Justin Timberlake and Chris Stapleton, but I'm going to go with Chris Stapleton, Traveler, right now, um, because I'm just, have been obsessed with that album for a while. It's what I listen to when I'm putting on my makeup, getting ready for um, broadcast these days. So that's it. Going country. The Clovis Girls going country.
0: Wow. All right. Yeah. Cool <laughs> Am I the first person to go country? In that um, no, no, we've had some. Not what I expected from you, but I'll give it to you. What, what were you expecting? Um... Yeah, I don't know. Bay Area, maybe, maybe like some sort of like old school hip hop. I know, it's
1: me forty or something. I apologize yeah. to the entire <laughs> Bay Area. No, 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 no it's tough. Me. Desert Island so Album is me really tough. Yeah. for that, but yeah. You know, um, you do
0: number three. If you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be?
1: Oh wow. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say Rachel McAdams okay. uh, because she, she may be number one on another list I have. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested to see what the life was like. I guess. Oh, of what star. other list is that? I have no idea. And now I'm <laughs> blushing. And uh, man, okay. I should have had a better answer to that question. Right. <laughs> I guess we know your type
0: now. I like it. Okay. Uh, number four. What's the most scared you've ever been?
1: Um. Uh, I was hit by a car uh, mm. five years ago while riding my bike in San Francisco and I think the most scared I've ever been was a couple months after when I was still really struggling med- with memory loss oh, wow. because of my post-concussion symptoms, and uh, I thought all the work i put in all these years is going to be for naught, and my career as a sports broadcaster is over. Um, so that was probably the most scared I'd been because I thought that everything I'd worked for had been taken from me, and I was going to have to start. Anew, uh in my late 20s, and that was really, really scary for me.
0: Yeah, that is yeah. really crazy. Wow. Yeah. And I would imagine it makes you much more um, in tune with athletes and concussions to have gone through your own...
1: Yeah, and I'm actually um, writing about that experience oh, wow. uh, right now, so stay tuned because I'm hoping um, to hopefully shed some light on the concussions and depression and, yeah. and suicide and all that that's Conversation. Yeah, it happened, crazily enough, um, right when Alex Smith was concussed and Colin Kaepernick took over as the 49ers huh. quarterback. That was right when I was coming back to KNBR after my trouble. So I had That's some crazy. very interesting perspective on that story at the yeah. time as well. Yeah, I bet. Um, but just wow. very great, grateful to be here now.
0: Number five, what would you consider your biggest failure? Biggest
1: failure? Hmm. I don't know if I. Is it bad to say I? I don't feel like I've had the biggest failure yet, because I. No. Been, <laughs> That's good, I, I guess. Like or I've you're in denial. <laughs> I mean, I've been turned. I've been turned down for jobs, and I wish I've done better on broadcasts. Um, okay. Oh, here's one. This is way flashback. Biggest failure. Thirteen years old. My travel soccer team was in the state <laughs> cup final. I had taken all our PKs. I always took all our PKs. We get a PK in overtime at the State Cup Final, and I miss my first PK of my career because I was so scared, and I'd faced that team before, and I knew the goalie knew which corner I was going to, so I was trying to decide, do I go to that corner again, do I try to kick it to the other corner, what do I do, and I ended up kicking it right to her,
0: Oh no. and oh,
1: no. we ended up winning in PKs, but I didn't celebrate, and I felt like a failure. And uh, even though
0: <laughs> that well, was so you crazy, messed up and you were a bad teammate
1: and I was a bad teammate because <laughs> I was an asshole afterwards and wasn't really celebrating with my team. Um, it, it taught me that indecisiveness is your biggest failure. So make a choice and go with it there you go, and then just keep swimming afterwards. So look at you goes, taking
0: that 13 year old <laughs> lesson. Oh, yes. So knowledgeable. getting two cliches out of it indecisiveness Mm -hmm. and keep swimming I love it Um, number six what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success
1: um I think I think grit I haven't read that book yet but there's a book called grit right that's been like a a bestseller for a number of years right yeah and I just haven't had the time but a friend texted me a couple (laughs) years ago when it came out (laughs) and, and she said you need to read this book this book is you um I think, and I've heard this, and it's uncomfortable for me even saying this, right? I hate talking about myself, but I've heard this from a number of coworkers in the last few years when I've told them my story and how I got here, and they've reflected back to me. I don't know if I could have done that, Kate. Um, I mean, like even last year, I was working uh, from 4 a.m. to 10 at KNBR, then walking up the street, sleeping in my car, And then driving over to the Pac-12 network and putting on, you know, full hair and makeup and a dress and working and then repeating the next day. Um, And my friends have said, I don't know if I could have been 33 and sleeping in my car because I wanted something so badly. Like, I could see doing that at 25, but I don't know if I could do it now. So I think um, just how badly I've wanted this and continue to want it and how hard I'm willing to work. um, And pretty much all of my friends and family know my career is my number one <laughs> yeah. um, and I just want it so badly. So I think that's probably the thing that's led to my success because as you know, this is a crazy hard yeah. industry I love that. um, that's, that's and there's a billion people like you. So how right. are you going to set yourself apart? And I think for me, it's just been
0: my okay.
1: refusal to give up, I think.
0: Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Other than my singing voice?
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, hmm. Uh, maybe a couple of two things. I I wish maybe sometimes I was more opinionated (laughs) or willing to give, getting back to what we already talked about. Like my friends joke with me and they call me Switzerland. They wish that I would have an opinion about more things and stop trying to be the host and the mediator of every conversation I'm ever in. Um, that's one thing. And then uh, I wish I was better and more comfortable with self-promotion,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though that's weird. But, no, it's necessary. Um, I, I think my career might be a little further along if I felt more comfortable doing that, but it's just, it just feels weird and awkward to me, and it's not me. But multiple people have told me, you need to be better at this. You need to tweet more about yourself. And I'm like, oh, well, that feels weird. I can't do that. So a couple of very different but things I'd like to to improve but probably won't yeah.
0: well work on the pr thing you have to almost detach from yourself and and realize that if you were a salesman and you were selling a house or a car or whatever that's what you're selling and in our industry you're selling yourself and convincing people to get their info and information and uh stats and facts and everything from you. So, get on it, girl. Otherwise, I'll start doing your PR from afar. I do it for my <laughs> husband already. So. I appreciate that. Yeah. We can talk out there about how there much go. i to pay you. There you go. Um, and finally, number 8, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Ooh.
1: Um kind um prepared um And uh, fun.
0: Kind, prepared, and fun.
1: Those are weird, but. Those are
0: uh, weird, but I like them. Being I a dig good it. person
1: is the most important thing to me, and I, I really hope that people have fun and, and can leave whatever time they're spending me, with me, whether that be in person or listening to a broadcast. I hope I can just leave them a little happier than maybe they were before. Uh, so, yeah, there we go.
0: I love that. And I love chatting with you, and I hopefully will see you sometime before February. <laughs> yes. We'll see.
1: It was, it, was, um, it was phenomenal to be on with you today. Thanks for asking.
0: Well, and hopefully this hope will help with that PR thing.
1: I, I hope it does, too, <laughs> and I hope we see each other before February, too.
0: All right. Talk to you soon, lady.
1: Oh, and another thing.
0: This week's That's What She Read comes from the Columbia Journalism Review, And it's sort of a behind-the-scenes on one woman's attempt to get a story published about Roy Price, the head of Amazon Studios. And while it's fascinating to read um, the slow and steady way that stories like the Harvey Weinstein assault and harassment uh, story came to light, the the little ways in which rumors become full-fledged accounts become very bold and brave women speaking up, Um, turn into a sort of rolling snowball that that goes downhill, there are also stories about how many blockades are in the way to those stories becoming public and becoming uh, known. And this story is a particularly interesting behind the scenes, and it's by Kim Masters. The headline is Fighting the Gawker Effect in the Wake of Weinstein. And she's talking about how difficult it was for her to get somebody to publish a story about allegations against Roy Price, the head of Amazon Studios, and how what happened at Gawker, Hulk Hogan's successful lawsuit against them that essentially bankrupted Gawker, has has made things difficult for people when they're trying to publish. That if you get it wrong, or if you do it wrong, or if people, you know, threaten to sue or threaten crazy litigation for the truth about them coming out, that um, it can go very wrong for the publication. But it's necessary and it's worthwhile to push for it. Um, Anyway, it's a really interesting story about the many people who tried to get in her way, the many outlets that wouldn't publish. Um, and, And I'll just read you a little bit from the end. I fear my difficult experience with this story is not unique. As The Washington Post, Margaret Sullivan wrote in a piece about the Gawker effect, veteran rock critic Jim DeRogaitis had great difficulty finding an outlet that would publish his explosive R. Kelly story. In August, Fox News host, now former Fox News host, Eric Bolling sued writer Yashar Ali personally for $50 million for reporting that Bolling allegedly sent lewd texts to colleagues. Harder has threatened to sue The Times on Weinstein's behalf. If there's a silver lining to any of this, it's that the environment may have changed just a bit, at least for the moment. Emboldened by the women who have stepped forward to tell their stories about Weinstein, Isa Hackett in recent days agreed to go public with her full story about Roy Price on the record with me. The Hollywood Reporter, which had declined to run my earlier piece, didn't hesitate in running that piece on Thursday. All 889 words. Hours after the piece was posted, Amazon suspended Price, effective immediately. Kim Masters is the editor uh, at large of The Hollywood Reporter and host of KCRW's The Business. The story, again, is entitled Fighting the Gawker Effect in the Wake of Weinstein on the Columbia Journalism Review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.